my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, I want to talk about one of my favorite topics, TVs. Why do I love TVs? Because I live for NFL football. I'll tell you what I think about the new TVs Amazon is supposedly going to start selling in just weeks. And later, you may have heard me talk about the new Starlink internet service. Well, I have a mea culpa. If I got you caught up in my excitement about the supposed imminent availability of high-speed internet from sea to shining sea in the U.S. So Walmart, approximately two holiday seasons ago, started selling a variety of 4K TVs under its on-brand, ONN. It's ONN Dot, and they have all different kinds of ONN products. I don't know what ONN stands for. I wonder if it stands for anything. But now uh, Walmart, what one does, the other always seems to follow. Now Amazon, following in Walmart's footsteps, is going to issue its own branded televisions that are going to likely be Amazon Alexa TVs, some name like that, and who knows, or Amazon Echo TVs. It'll be something where Amazon wants every way they can to have electronics in your home that make it easier for you to order from Amazon and to feel more connected to Amazon's ecosystem or ecosystem, whichever way you prefer to call it. So the great thing with what Amazon's doing is they have an incentive to sell TVs just like they've sold the ta- the Fire tablets and the Echo devices and all that. They have an incentive to sell them at a loss because of the long ball they're playing trying to become more integrated into your life. So these TVs, in a year that TVs actually have gone price-wise in reverse, you know, TVs are more expensive than they were 18 months ago. And there are two reasons for this, both related to the pandemic. When people started spending a lot more time at home because of coronavirus, people bought TVs like crazy. You know, they wanted new, fancier TVs everywhere. And then today, because of so many factories in Asia having disruptions in their production schedules because of the spread of COVID in a factory, you know, people working in close environments, people got it, factories had to shut down or their productivity fell apart. We have a massive shortage of TVs right now. And I'm seeing. TVs for sale when they're on sale on Clark deals many times the TVs are twice what they were last November twice the cost for like to like TV so TVs are more expensive now than they've been in a long time if you are interested in a TV but the TV you have still works fine Sit on the sidelines for now. This is not the upcoming Christmas shopping season for you to replace your TV. 
On the other hand, if your TV croaks or you really need a TV somewhere for whatever reason, needs a funny word for a TV, the Amazon product launch is putting a lot of fear in a lot of retailers and television manufacturers. And so I think we're going to have a, a bargain wave around the introduction of the Amazon televisions. If you're like me and you couldn't care less what brand a TV is, if the Amazon TVs turn out to be like I expect, where they're subsidizing them and making them extra cheap, buy one. And if you don't like Amazon's TV platform, you can plug in a Roku into a USB on the TV and have it just be basically a monitor running Roku for you. Krista? Right, you ready for, for some questions? This one's from Glenn in Wisconsin. I want to present you with two scenarios. One is I spend $300 for three months, and each month I pay $295. So at the end of three months, I have a balance of $15 with each month accumulating interest. Or the second scenario, I spend $300 for three months, pay the $300 off each month, not accumulating any interest. Which one will increase my credit score more than the other? Glenn, you will be happy to know there's no advantage for you with your score. Paying interest, leaving a small balance open, just so you think you'll raise your score. That has no impact on your score at all. What matters is the amount of credit you have used versus your available credit. Whether you pay the balance in full or you don't, that's all that matters. So you want to pay the balance in full every month, and you want to keep what's known as your utilization at below 30% of your available credit. So let's say you got your $300 you're charging. You need to have a credit limit of at least $1,000 because anything above that $300 with a $1,000 limit would harm your credit. Or in reverse, let's say you had a $500 credit limit, spending $300 on the card would eat you alive on your credit score because you'd be using 60% of your available credit. So there's no advantage ever to leaving an open balance on a credit card. This is from Kathy in North Carolina. You said that with a 403B, the person ends up paying so much in fees, they lose out on essentially what they put in. I've worked for the same hospital for 30 years, and I have over 450000 saved. The hospital matches 50% up to 10%, so I put in the 10% to get the 5% as you recommend. Are you saying I should stop putting money in there? Also, I've asked about the fees and was told they give some of it back. I also do my own Roth, but I'm not always good about getting the max in there. I try. All right. So, Kathy, um, the scenario that I was giving you was from a financial column about how much the fees on 403Bs were destroying people's retirement money. In your case, with the hospital giving you such a fantastic match, you absolutely want to put in the 10% and get their 5% match. So you're effectively getting a 50% return on your money right away. Even the atrocious fees on most 403Bs isn't bad enough to negate the benefit of that employer match. I would say do the 10%. Any more savings you do, 
do what you were talking about with your Roth, that that's where you contribute moving forward. And phenomenal that you've worked for the same hospital for 30 years. What dedication. And it's so great that you're closing out on having half a million dollars saved. And from Charles in North Carolina, our credit union offers savings and money market accounts in addition to their checking and investing services. While I know the money market has a slightly higher interest rate, are there any other advantages or risks to, t- to using a money market versus a traditional savings account, or are they basically the same thing? There's slight differences in the rules, but they're fully federally insured by uh, the uh, NCUA, the National Credit Union Administration, as long as your credit union is NCUA insured. And so if the money market is offering a higher interest rate, grab the higher interest rate that they're offering. The situation where you may have a disadvantage is on the rules for doing withdrawals, how many withdrawals you're allowed to do in a time period of 30 or 90 days from a money market account at a credit union. But if you're using it as a way to build up savings, then the number of withdrawals you're allowed will make no difference to you. And some inspiration from Christopher in Indiana Back in 1997, I was in my late 20s, living on my own for the first time. I owed $9,000 in credit card debt and 30k in student loans. I was only making $30,000 a year. I was moving money between credit cards to make minimum payments and falling way behind on everything. I was deep. It was deep enough that I wasn't likely to get out on my own, but I didn't know what to do. I'm forever grateful to the phone rep at the student loan collection agency, who, after hearing my desperation, suggested a forbearance. I think it saved my life. I wasn't 180 days late on my loan and was able to use the breathing room to restructure some things and start snowballing my cards off. It wasn't easy, but I dug myself out, and yes, it took years. But there is hope for anyone, and there are places that really can help you, but you've got to work at it. Every month when the statement comes and you see that balance going down, it makes you feel better and better. Just wanted to share. Christopher, it is really kind of you to take the time to look back on where you were a generation ago in your life when you felt desperate and hopeless. And one person in one phone call gave you hope and gave you direction. You grabbed that and you turned things around. And I want to tell you that's inspirational for anyone who feels overwhelmed in their lives to know that when things feel bleak, when they feel dark, there is an opportunity for things to turn around. And thank you for taking the time to share. Coming up straight ahead, I should know better than to believe anything Elon Musk says for delivering things by a certain deadline. The latest victim of delay All the people I got all fired up about Starlink Internet. Elon Musk is one of the most confusing people, I would say, of the modern era on planet Earth. He is a brilliant man, thin-skinned man, very arrogant, but also sees the world and sees his opportunities that the rest of us don't really grasp. Think about all the things he's done. When NASA was unable 
to fly people to the International Space Station anymore. Elon Musk figured out how to do it. When the cost of launching satellites for the military had gotten to a point that it was really hurting our defense capabilities, Elon Musk came up with a really affordable way to launch satellites for the military and for civilian payloads at a tenth the cost of what it was costing for the U.S. to use other defense contractors to launch spycraft into outer space or lower Earth orbit, whatever you call it, launching all those spy satellites. The guy has come up with these power walls that have changed the power equation for a lot of countries, particularly Australia, which has had a lot of trouble with power grid reliability, and shows a path for us to degrid in the United States from these power monopolies with the combination of solar, wind, and batteries at our own homes. I mean, the guy is an absolute genius. I haven't even mentioned Tesla that's changed the whole conversation worldwide on electric vehicle production and the replacement of electric vehicles for gas engine vehicles that are much cheaper to run than gas engines, much more fun to drive, much more economical. I mean, this guy sees something and comes up with a new way of doing it, or when other people say no, he figures out a way to make it work. But one thing Elon Musk is terrible at is meeting deadlines he announces and offering the worst customer no service just about of any company out there from all his companies. The man has a postgraduate degree in how to provide customer no service. The latest involves Starlink. Starlink is the innovative satellite internet service that will be able to provide high-speed internet around the globe. It's already supposedly available through much of the United States and most of Canada, except people who've signed up for it and paid deposits haven't received their equipment. Nobody responds to them from Starlink. I mean, it's just a customer no-service nightmare. And I feel really responsible because so many of our podcast listeners who live in rural areas heard my incredible excitement and enthusiasm about Starlink, signed up for it, paid deposits, and it's been vaporware for you. No equipment shown up, no responses from Starlink. It's flat out pitiful. And it's funny because no one of us is great at everything. Even the things we're great at, we may be better than other people at those things, but then there are other areas that we have real deficits. And obviously the common theme through Elon Musk run companies and own companies is that they just don't have their customer service act together. Starlink will live up to the promise. It will provide relatively affordable, high-speed internet to the remotest corners of Earth. 
It's just they should have somebody working for them who actually knows how to run the nuts and bolts of the operation, like getting equipment to people, communicating with people, and dealing with problems that people have with their stuff. So if you were one of the people who paid the money for Starlink, paid the deposit, and you're sitting there just whistling in the wind with nothing happening, I apologize. I don't have an answer for you. And I will tell you that what makes people even more green with envy is the people who have it have been extremely happy with it. And when it eventually does show up at your house, you'll be really happy that you finally got it. So there you have it. You know, if I ever, I I said uh, in my TV work, I thought I was going to be doing an interview with Musk. And I was like, this guy will never talk to me again after I do an interview with him. Because he's got that thin skin. And Krista, I would just be all over him. Like, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you treat people this way? (laughs) Michael in Florida wrote... Dearest Financial Oracle, I have a small business and my community bank has just crossed the Rubicon into monster status after 15 years. I would like to have a financial firm relationship that can take care of the regular business banking needs and be able to invest our excess business capital in some type of brokerage account. Can you recommend a good place to look for such a firm? Does Schwab, Fidelity, or another have a small business-friendly type of account so I can make my monster business bank divorce final? Schwab and Fidelity both do this, and you're right on the money that if you have a business that's been doing really well, you have excess capital, both of these companies provide a very viable alternative for you to have your business account at you have to have investment assets with one of them in order to then do the business account with one of them so you have to if you don't have a personal investment account open one with them and then you can also piggyback on that with a corporate account there's a lot of paperwork involved when you set up a corporate account with Schwab or Fidelity, but that's a one-time aggravation once you get that done. From Richard in Illinois, my grandma just recently passed away. I'm sorry, Richard. I have inherited $200,000. I want to put it into a total stock market index fund, but I'm scared to put it in all at once because of the market downturn. Should I just dollar cost average and put some in every month? I think that's very reasonable, Richard, to take the 200 k and put it in over, let's say, a 20-month period or a 30-month period where you just uh, divide it out, put that amount of money in each month. Um, And that way you would feel more at peace with what might happen with the market. I also recommend if you are employed, Richard, and you don't do a Roth IRA, that the first money you do with this goes into a Roth IRA in 21, do another contribution in 22, and that way the money you put in will be tax-free forever. The money you put into a total stock market index fund will have small amounts of tax due over time. It'll be very favorable tax. And when you do liquidate shares, that's when you'll have to pay capital gains tax, which is also a very favorable tax but it's not tax-free 
like a Roth IRA is. This is from Karen in Oregon. We have a Visa gift card that we bought at our local store. It was a $500 card. We had used it five or six times with no problem. It had a balance of $243 left. The last time we tried to use it, it wasn't accepted. When I logged into the gift card website to see what the balance was, it wouldn't let me in and said to call customer service. The rep asked about the last two transactions we'd made and if we had made a purchase of $241 on a certain date. I said no. She asked for our address, and she said the address I gave her wasn't in their files. Evidently, someone hacked into the card, changed the address, and maxed out the card. Do you know of any way we can get this resolved without giving them all kinds of personal information, which they never had in the first place? We don't feel comfortable doing that. Karen, I am so sorry this happened to you, and you do need to give all the personal information that they're asking for. They are going to... do some level of fraud investigation, and you need to be as forthcoming as possible, even coughing up personal information that makes you feel uncomfortable to give. You're going to have to be persistent with them because your rights on the Visa gift card are not solid like they are with a Visa credit card. But the fact that these are purchases you did not make, that someone had hacked in, whatever, That means that you are going to need to build a strong case, but you should prevail as long as you're persistent. And I want to hear back from you how you do. If the visa issuing bank is not cooperative, I want you to file a complaint against them with consumerfinance.gov. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. I truly appreciate all of your feedback and reviews. And if you want more great daily advice, sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. They are free.